You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We read today from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 6. Who is this coming from Edom, from Bozrah, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red, like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath, I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. We are in this Advent season. We've been looking at pictures in the book of Isaiah. This is week three, pointing to the coming Messiah. I, I hope that you don't just think, oh, this was a long time ago, when, and actually we're all just thinking about Christmas. In many respects, we live in Advent our whole lives because we believe that the Messiah will one day come. And so we want to be looking forward to that. And the danger is sometimes that we can almost think, oh, this Advent season, it's countdown to Christmas. Have you eaten all the chocolates or have you had some self-restraint? Are you still on the correct day? It can feel like, oh, on the 25th, we're done. But actually, when you get into something like this, it makes you realize they were waiting for the Messiah to come. What was it going to be like? We are waiting for the Messiah to come back. I found this passage very, very challenging for us this week. So let's quickly jump into it together. I've got three points. That doesn't surprise you, those that come here regularly. My first one is this, the watchman. The watchman. Real watchmen stood on the city wall and let the inhabitants know of any approaching danger. Spiritual watchmen are alerted by God to see what is happening spiritually and to communicate that to the people. I feel that there is a challenge right from this. Will we be spiritual watchmen that look to God? How do I get watchmen from it? Some of you might be saying, well, look, I wish we could have read more of the, the chapter, the book, the prophecy. Because Isaiah 62, which leads us to this, verse 6 and 7 says this, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, that they never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. So these people on those days were, were stood on, on the walls looking what's happening out there. Let, let's warn the city. 
if somebody's coming against us, if something's happening. We need to be ready and watching. In many respects, I feel that is a spiritual picture for us today. We must be those looking to what God is going to do. I know we haven't even had Christmas yet. And I want to tell you, we've got a week of prayer booked for, for January. Because when we're going to start the year on the 15th, we're going to gather and spend that whole week and say, come on, how do I look to God? How do I say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Now, this is not saying you can't pray between now and the 15th. But I just think there is a call for us to be those, even in the busyness. And I've loved Love Ealing. I really have. You know, having, we had some of our neighbours around yesterday. Some of them inviting us around this afternoon. It's going to be great. There's so many different ways of connecting to people. But we're still called to be those that watch. And what is God saying? What is God saying to you right now as you end 2022? What are you looking to him and hearing from him? We, we want this sort of sense of expectation, don't we? If we are those waiting for the coming Messiah, we should be those looking and listening to God. We call on him in prayer. We look to, I've loved the way the band have served us this morning. I've got to be honest. I said to him, look, we can just strip it down a little bit tonight. I know we've got a busy one tonight. And they say, oh, no, no, we'd love to come and serve. Because they just stir us to look at God. I love it when we gather and worship together. Because life can get so busy, can't it? And yet you take this time out. There's nothing quite like being with the people of God singing, is there? These watchmen realize that God is faithful to his promises. So what they're saying is, God, you said you're going to do something. When are you going to do it? And you know, that's something we've got to believe, isn't it? God never fails to keep his promises. I, I, I've mentioned this before. You know, Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus Christ came. And I, I mean, that's a long time, isn't it? How are we doing when it comes to some of the promises of God? You think, ah, oh, it, it didn't happen. Oh, I've given up. There's something here about faithful people looking. But in this, and this is what I love about this story, there's something about the suddenly of God, that God's suddenly going to break in. I guess this is what makes, if you read the Old Testament, it what makes the New Testament just so explosive. You think, oh, wow, they believed something of God, and then God suddenly did something. Well, why do I say that? Well, well, look, if we look at Isaiah 62, this is really your introduction, point one. They've called it Watchman. It says there, pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your saviour comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. So these watchmen were looking and they were saying, hey, there's going to come a time when this Messiah will pass through. Obviously then that makes it so exciting when Palm Sunday comes about, isn't it? Oh, hang on, hang on. The prophet said the Messiah will pass through. Literally, he passed through the city gates on the back of a donkey. 
It's no wonder they were shouting, Hosanna, which literally means salvation comes. They were excited. They were excited. Why? Because the prophet told us the Messiah will pass through. He is now passing through. Prepare the way. It's no wonder they got excited when John the Baptist turns up, doesn't, and starts baptizing. Say, look, it's not about me. I am preparing the way for him. Oh, wow, they'd waited 700 years for this. So then when Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. They said, hang on, that's what God told the watchman 700 years ago, and he's done it. So these watchmen, spiritually, are meant to be those that are looking out. Have you got tired or are you still looking are you still looking out with faith? God, where are you? What are you saying? What are you doing? I'll be honest, it's been a long, tiring year, hasn't it? I think I'll just have a quick nip on the couch. You know what I'm saying? We want to be those that are looking and excited. Jesus taught that parable himself, didn't he? About the virgins that were ready, ready for the bridegroom to come. I just want to encourage us as a church. Come on, let's keep on the front foot watching for what is about to happen. And then the watchmen, they get a glimpse of this lone figure. It's not some huge army. It's not a commander that's got so many people behind. You know, you see it now, don't you, in all the war films. You know, there's just lines and lines of them with animation. You know, they're coming and they're banging their swords. And no, no, there's one person that he just sees. Edom means red. Edom was a country of red soils and parched earth that existed just outside Israel's borders. These were the descendants of Esau. So actually, Jacob and Esau were two characters in the Old Testament, and we can read about them in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. And it says there, Genesis 25, verse 20, he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of your red stew. Esau was his brother, and he'd been out hunting, and he'd come back, and he was starving. And his brother, who was a bit of the homeboy, had done the cooking, said, give me some food. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom, because it was red stew. I guess it got me thinking, Look, bear me, preacher's license, there's this guy in red coming. I mean, come on, we're thinking Christmas, aren't we? Who do we see who's coming over the horizon? It's Santa Claus, isn't it? Now, we can laugh at that, but sometimes I wonder if that is our view of God. He rewards those that do right. Because Santa Claus comes, doesn't he? Have you been naughty or nice? And actually, what he really does is he looks at how you've behaved. And if you've behaved well, he'll reward you with what you want. And our danger is spiritually, we look out and we say, oh, this character Red's coming. Oh, it's Father Christmas. Basically, I think I've been good. And because I've been good, I deserve him to give me what I want. Because that's what Father Christmas does for me. I would like to suggest, and I know this is probably a little bit more controversial. And if you're as old as me, you remember the film Die Hard. Is it a Christmas film, yay or nay? 
Yeah, there's a whole public debate about it, isn't there? It happens on Christmas Eve. It's a Christmas film. So I would like to suggest the guy in red coming is not Santa Claus, but Bruce Willis. And some of you think, what? How does he get this far? Because Bruce Willis, if you don't, if you never watched the film, it was out in 1989. I'm going to spoil it for you. You've had long enough to get hold of it. Bruce Willis just happens to be at this place and these terrorists turn out and he's a New York cop and he just happens to win the whole day on his own. But obviously he does get quite bloody in the process. Now, if we're really honest, we don't like the concept of God being more like a Bruce Willis than a Santa Claus. Because Santa Claus is just lovely and old. He's inoffensive, isn't he? But who wants to think of God as a warrior? You always think of God as one who's bloody. I just want us to pause and think a little bit about that. At Christmas, we often think of the baby Jesus, no crying he makes. Whereas the Bible does describe God as a warrior. After he had busted the slaves out of Egypt, after he'd taken them through the Red Sea, This is in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. He gets to the other side and Moses, who's the leader, and his sister Miriam end up bursting into song. You can read it in Exodus 15. And what do they say in verse 3? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So actually, when these watchmen see this red warrior coming, maybe that is more biblical. Now, again, what is quite shocking about this scene is he is a lone warrior. His garments are red. Stained with soil? No. We think with blood. Surely a lone survivor of a great defeat. That would be the picture, wouldn't it? You could almost imagine this this guy who read that comes across, that these watchmen have seen. Golly, is that all that has survived? One commentator, a guy called John in the Daily Study Bible said, it's almost as though the day of judgment is too cruel, too painful to contemplate. And the exhausted, blood-stained victor is thankful that it is all over. I know you're saying I'm mixing up all my stories. I know we're looking forward to Christmas. But some would say that was true of the crucifixion at Easter. Good Friday saw a crushed, blood-stained body. This broken, bleeding garment of flesh surely cannot be victory. Surely the blood-stained warrior could not be our hope for justice, the one who was going to make the world right. So the question is asked again in Isaiah, who is this? But if we stop and look at the passage, it's not a fatigued and exhausted fighter, but a strong, majestic, victorious and redemptive warrior. That is what we're seeing here. The answer to the question, who are you? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. 
Wow, I mean, I am the, the great name of God in the Old Testament. And, and who are you? It is I, the victorious one. That's why, again, I've loved it this morning in our worship, because we've stopped to think, golly, Jesus, who are you? In the busyness of Christmas, can I encourage you to pause and focus upon him? In the busyness of this season, stop, pray. In the busyness of this season, give yourself some space to worship God. Great to sing this morning. I had it down. Oh, hopefully we'll be singing tonight. Oh, come, let us adore him. Because the watchmen see this vision of one coming. What is so amazing about this is the warrior watchman spotted the one coming from Edom. Edom was the very heart of enemy territory. So the question becomes, how on earth does he win the victory? We know that there's watchmen, we know there's this warrior, and he's walking from Edom. How does he win the victory? Bosra, the capital of Edom, means winepress. So the city of Red is named its capital, the country of Red is named its capital, winepress. And in many respects, that is then the theme that this Isaiah picks up. The wine press, the concept of the wine press is picked up in verse 2. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the wine press? Hang on, Bosra, wine press, you've trod the wine press. I have trodden the wine press alone. We know from the book of Joel, that's another Old Testament book, he was another prophet, that this was a scene of judgment. Swing the sickle, it says in Joel 3, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Oh, wow, there's this, this picture of the winepress, and he is gone and, and, and in judgment. We know if we read um, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, I was going to say the end of the world. It's not the end. It's the beginning. I know it's the last chapter. But John, in his vision there in Revelation 19, says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head are many crowns. His name is written, and nobody knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. The danger is today we don't want the image of a God who is an uncontrolled, angry warrior. We want justice when we've been wronged. But often we want grace when we have wronged others. I guess this picture 
It's a bit like grapes, that they draw moisture from the earth, and this is what makes grapes. And, and they store this up, waiting to, to be released into a wine press. And in some respect, that is like God's uh, justice. It's being stored up. We often read in the Bible that he is slow to anger and abounding in grace. God's mercy, God's mercy and God's wrath, according to G.D. Smart, stood not in contradiction but in union. We can often think, oh, either he's merciful or he's a God who, who, who punishes those that do wrong. Actually, it says it's, it's no contradiction. The Bible teaches that in a due time, when the wine of God's justice will be poured into a cup for the unjust to drink. That's a picture in Scripture. It's a picture that many of us will understand. Jesus himself drank on our behalf. Mark, one of the accounts of the life of Jesus, talks about the night before he died. Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, goes a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Nikki and I have uh, been married 30 years this year. We did a tour of Israel and Palestine leading up to Easter. They took us to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where they press the olives. I'd never discovered this before, but apparently when they pressed the olives, they used to have a long, long lever with lots of weights on it. And the first lot, they'd put the olives there and they'd put this weight down and it would squeeze out some of the olive. And then they would take the sort of mush and that and they'd put it on the next one and there was more weights and it would squeeze a bit more and stuff would come out. And then they'd take the pulp from that and put it onto the third and final one and even heavier weights and the last bit would be squeezed out. We know from the Garden of Gethsemane the story the night before the, that Jesus cried out three times. Oh, Father. It's almost like he's just been squeezed. And he said, not my will, but yours. And, and he goes back and he prays again. Oh, Father. And he feels like he's just squeezed again. And he goes back and he prays, doesn't he? A third time. Oh, Father. He takes the punishment we deserve. Which is why Isaiah wrote all that time before, this is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger, the goblet of my wrath you will never drink. Because Jesus drank it all on our behalf. That's the picture of the Messiah that we understand. Even the detail of this picture 700 years before what was it? It was one lone figure. We know that Jesus in his darkest hour was abandoned by all his disciples. We know that when the, the mob came to arrest him, they all fled and they left him. We know that he was on his own. We know, don't we, even on the cross, he says, Father. That's the picture of what we see. Paulson, in his commentary, the South Asia Bible commentary, says he needed no help. 
And in his anger and strength, he destroyed his enemies and achieved salvation. He did this alone. No one can share the credit with him. He died in my place alone for me. I did not realize, uh, unless Isaac slipped into my study and, and pinched through my sermon, he didn't do that. He read the verse earlier that I felt challenged by. Paul writing to the church in Colossians. Colossians 2 talks of Jesus having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As disciples of Jesus, if you follow Jesus today, it's been paid. If you follow Jesus, he has taken the wrath of God that you deserve and drunk it all. That's what the cross was about. Now, we like that side of it. And we are not the Messiah. I don't want, I don't want to stretch this too far. But I did feel very challenged as I'm prepping. I do think you'll be squeezed as a follower of his. And again, the danger is really, isn't it, that we think, oh, if I follow Jesus, it's going to be easy. I think you'll be squeezed because if you follow Jesus, you are out of step with the world. You're going to say, you think that? Well, yeah, because I follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will be squeezed because you're to offer unconditional forgiveness. You think, what? I want revenge. I want to tell my side of the story. I want... If you follow Jesus, you will feel squeezed financially. Why on earth are we doing an offering for local people tonight? Don't you realize, Peter, I've had the heating on all week. Ah, but we follow him and he's a generous God. Why on earth wouldn't I want to bless healing? And help somebody out of debt. It could feel a squeeze. The watchman, the warrior, and the wine press is my challenge to us this morning out of Isaiah 63. John Oswald, in his commentary, says the passage is about the work of the Messiah. That makes it possible for the people of God to be and do what God commands them to do. So the whole thing of this is not, oh, wow, that's an interesting picture. I, I, I hate anybody to leave here and think, okay, Jesus is more Bruce Willis than Santa Claus. Surely this should inspire us to be and to live different. If we really glimpse, if we really understand who God is, that's what it means to be a disciple. A follower of Jesus is not just a name that I apply to myself. There you go, Christian. It's someone that says, well, I follow him. I've seen him. It will impact me in every area. I didn't actually realize that this guy, John Oswald, is obviously a bit of a, a star when it comes to Isaiah. Because I'd read the New International Commentary on the Old Testament, which he'd written. I then read the New International Version, Application Commentary on the Old Testament. He's written that one as well. So I thought I could quote him twice. The idea that redemption, that we are saved, that he's paid the price for us, that he's redeemed us, and continued sin can coexist is not biblical. It's certainly not Isaanic. 
Ah, so he's saying, well, look, actually, if you understand who Jesus is, it must impact the way you live your life. You could not say, oh, well, that's incredible. Right, I'm just going to go eat. I'm just going to get drunk this Christmas. I'm just going to go and sleep with whoever I like. I'm just going to say, well, that's not my God because this is my truth. No, he says, if you understand who he is, it must impact the way you live your life. He goes on to say, if Christ is the divine warrior who will eventually triumph over sin in the world at large, the time is now to let him defeat sin in our own lives and to give us a thoroughgoing hatred of it in all its form. Oh, wow. I don't know about you. Ross is out, so I'm going to use Mars as an example now. I mean, chocolates are like sin, aren't they? I mean, when you unwrap them, you think, man, alive, that's nice. And once you've eaten it, you think, why did I have 14 different celebrations last night? Well, I just wanted a couple of each. You know what I'm saying? It only seemed fair, didn't it? That is like sin, though, isn't it? We think, I'll just have one, I'll have another, have another, have another. And afterwards, we think, oh, it's pretty hollow, and it's probably made me feel pretty rough. And he's saying, well, if you understand who God is, that would just impact the way that you live your life. And look, I don't want us just to think, oh, that's, that, that was interesting. Oh, that's how they look for a Messiah. And that's why I understand we are still looking for the Messiah to come. We're in this season. Let's be a people that look and watch. Let's celebrate in the one who achieved it all for us. The gospel is this, Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. He's done it all. It's a lone warrior. So often, if I'm really honest, I think, oh, are they cheering me? I remember somebody once preaching on uh, Palm Sunday. I was telling you the story about, you know, this donkey that's walking into Jerusalem. And he thinks, wow, I've never been quite so popular. The reality, everyone's waving at me. (laughs) Everyone's putting their clothes down. I don't know what I've done, but I'm special. (laughs) Oh, they suddenly realize it was Jesus. That's got to be true. It's about him. And let's accept that actually we only have victory because he went through the cross. There was a wine press that he took the punishment for us. And some of us, if you're really honest, as you end this year, you think, poor Pete, I'm feeling squeezed. I'm feeling squeezed because life is hard and I'm not sure if I know him with me. I feel like I've prayed and I'm not sure he's answered. In fact, I can't hear his voice. I've clung to a promise and it's not come true yet. And you're just feeling squeezed. I want you to look at this Messiah. Jesus, we fix our eyes upon you. We're sorry when we'd rather you were Father Christmas rather than the warrior that you are. We're sorry when we come to you and expect you just to dish us out presents for our good behavior. Jesus, we know you shed your blood for us. I mean, it says there, doesn't it? I is stained by his blood. Jesus, we often sin. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished.
Let us be those that are so captivated by our warrior and, and the wine press that he endured for our salvation that when we're squeezed, we cry out to you for your glory. Amen.